Welcome to Love Your Family again and again and again and again, the podcast where we focus on parenting with love and clarity. I'm Dr. Marcy, a family culture expert who for over 20 years has been helping parents to create happy and strong families. I am a little bit beside myself with today's guest because this week I am doing a parenting conversation with my mom and dad. Yes, that's right. My family is here to have a conversation about parenting and family and love and all of the goodness and some of the hard things of me as a child. So welcome, mom and dad. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. We're delighted. Oh, good. So as in true fashion, I always start with asking the parents in my podcast, who's in your family? So who's in your family? I'm in your family. Dad. Mm-hmm. Mom. Mm-hmm. And we have two daughters, Marcy, who now lives in Brooklyn, and Lauren, who lives in Massachusetts. Yes. And they are both adult children, which is also very different from your other podcasts. It is true. It is very true. Talking to parents of adult children is very different than talking to parents of young children. And I will say you are the first parents on the podcast of adult children. But I have a feeling we might talk about when I was a little one for a while. So to clarify, my sister Lauren is two years older than me. So growing up, I was the baby of the family and she was the older sibling. And I feel like in many ways, we are very true younger, older sibling dynamics. So the next question I ask every family, now that we know who we all are, is what is what was the go-to glare? When I was a kid, what was the thing that you guys knew to do that if Lauren and I were fighting would get us back together, if I was upset because something hard was happening, would reset the family? We would have to go on long car rides. Because you would go to sleep, we wanted you to go to sleep and, and be calm and peaceful. So we would just have to continue to, to be driving. So sometimes when we wanted to be home, we couldn't necessarily stop because you would wake up. So we would continue to drive. And sometimes it was 10 minutes more. Sometimes it was 30 minutes more. And there were times when it was an hour more because we were dedicated parents, both mother and myself. Okay, so your go-to glitter, Dad, is that you would keep driving so that we would be asleep in the backseat of the car. So the thing that, in your opinion, kept our family together was Lauren and I fast asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and it was calm. It was calm and peaceful. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Mom, do you have a different opinion? Yeah, I have a different opinion. The things that we used to do that were fun and adventures. Well, certainly going on vacations were wonderful. Um, and we would find places that were geared for families. So there were activities for you and Lauren. There were, um, in some, some of the places they had like day camps where you would be like in the day camp and then we would get together at night and get all dressed up and go out to dinner. Um, so going on vacations were things that we all did together. Also, for most of your young childhood, your father, Steve, dad, was working in the city. So he would come home late 
So you really didn't have much time with him. So that was like the one time that the four of us were together. Um, also, we would do jigsaw puzzles, which I still love. Me too. Um, and that was always an activity that we would do that was sort of like calming and relaxing because you could sit and do it and you didn't need to have a conversation or discuss anything, but it was something that we were doing together. Nice. So what I like about that reminder of the go-to glitter is that sometimes what we do with our kids becomes their go-to glitter as an adult, Mm -hmm. right? During the pandemic, I don't know how many puzzles I ordered and went through, but that was one of the things that I did that brought me joy when I was isolated and alone. So thanks for adding that glitter to my life. Mm -hmm. So, and mom, you put in a good, good context to our family as I was growing up, as in dad worked full time in the city. A lot of times during the work, during the week, he was up and out for work before we were up and he was home after we were asleep. And you were home with us full time. And I know you worked part time when we were in school, but I picture you as always being around. And that's really good context. I was home when you were home. Yes. But but sometimes I would make it before you, you fell asleep. Okay. And as I came home, I would want my playtime with the kids. So I would pick them up. I would throw them up. I would rile them up. And then I would remember that I hadn't had dinner and it was 830-ish. Okay. So I wanted to eat. Well, they were all wound up mm-hmm. I wanted to eat. So I would say, <clears throat> stop. I need to, I need to have dinner, but they didn't, they didn't know what that meant. Yeah. How'd that go? How well did I do it calming down after you riled me up? And it was frequently way past your bedtime then. So I'm overtired. I'm super excited because dad is home and he's not usually home. It wasn't planned, right? This was before the times of cell phones. So it wasn't that he called and mom, you knew he was going to be coming. Right. It was a surprise to all of us. So then dad's dad wants to go eat. He's done with the playtime. How did that go for me? The thing that would calm me down. <laughs> well, there were there were on occasion there could be tears, but also the way that I could calm you down to go to sleep was to read to you. So you would get into bed, and you know we we'd pull a couple of books off the shelf, or one of your favorites was the Shel Silverstein poems. Um, I could still recite a few of them by heart. Yes. I probably could too. Um, So I would read to you and reading was something that would calm you down. And then you'd go to sleep. Even once he riled me up? Yeah. Oh, wow. I figured that only came with a meltdown. Sometimes, but sometimes it didn't. There were more meltdowns meltdowns when you were all playing under the tent. Okay, now you have to describe what the tent is. Because it wasn't that we had a pop-up tent in the living room. So what's the tent? In the morning, I am, and still, love to sleep. So in the mornings, on the weekends, when you and your sister would wake up early, 
I would move into one of your beds and the three of you would play in our bed and I will let dad continue since he was the instigator. I like that you say instigator. (laughs) By the end of the story, you'll know. I was, I remember these. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always liked lying in bed, watching television. So we would do a little bit of that, but actually we would crawl underneath the covers or the tent in the bed. Okay. So being a little bit mischievous, okay, I would probably tickle one or both of you, okay? And because I was big and strong, okay, and you were still small children, I could pick you up and I could toss you around. And the more I did and the more I tickled, the more you loved it, okay? And I loved it too, okay? And you would try to scurry around and Laura would try to scurry around, okay? And I would tickle the more, the more we did this, the more I would tickle you and the more you would laugh. And as you laughed, then you can't move. So I would tickle you even more. Okay. And lo and behold, someone fell off the bed. My recollection is that it was always me. That's kind of my recollection. too. (laughs) (laughs) Younger sibling syndrome. I was the smallest and probably the most emotional of the group. Yes. I fell, I fell off and ended up in tears. And, and, and you didn't bounce. I thought all kids bounced. No, no, no. I didn't say bounce back. You didn't bounce off, off the floor. Well, you were kind of in a uh, injured, not really injured. You were harmed a, a, a wee bit. But also you liked, if, 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 you, if you fell off, then you wanted support, emotional support. I think I still want emotional support when I fall. <laughs> well, I was there to give you a certain kind of emotional support. Okay. So I would have to pick you up and cuddle you a little bit and maybe try to tickle you again. Okay. After you're calmed down. So it was always fixable. Yeah. You weren't really hurt. We never had to go to the emergency room. Well, that's good. Yes. No exactly. stitches from falling off the bed. Right. Exactly. I mean, yes. It was all done in wonderful, wonderful harmony, shall I say. Because we were always watching the cartoons. And just because the cartoons had a character that fell off the cliff. Didn't mean I wanted to fall off the bed. Right. Exactly. So what I get, if I can, you know, step out and above this story for a moment, is that sometimes when you play, someone's going to get hurt and that's okay because it's fixable. And sometimes the thing that we need to fix it is some hugs and kisses and not necessarily band-aids and ice cubes. Or ice cream. You don't always need ice cream. Wait, I'm confused by that. I think I always need ice cream. Even if I wasn't allowed to have it on a Saturday morning, I bet that would have helped for sure. Yes, but in the bre- in the morning we wouldn't have bre- we wouldn't have ice cream. Not for breakfast. I don't think that was ever the rule. I don't ever remember having ice cream for breakfast until I was an adult. Well. Yep. 
that happened. So I know as a kid, other than falling off the bed and that being hard, I was not an easy kid. That's right. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) So I know that I had a really hard time in school. I know that I had really big emotions. I know, Dad, you and I didn't always speak the same language. So what were some of the best tools and strategies you used or what were some of the hard moments that happened that we could talk about? Probably the hardest moment was your physical health because there was a span of two years where you did not feel well, you were nauseous and we went to a variety of doctors and specialists to try to figure out what was wrong with you. And at one point, our pediatrician said, the only doctor you haven't been to is a surgeon. And it was like, okay, she doesn't need a surgeon. Um, what did he think I needed surgery for? He didn't, but he was just like, we, we were two allergists. We were two um, gastroenterologists. We went to, you know, went through all sorts of testing and until we actually found someone who was an alternative medicine doctor, which was very rare in those days, um, we could not determine what was wrong with you. And the only physical, um, all your blood work, everything was normal. The only physical um, indication that he found was after a two-year period, you did not grow. That's so why it, I'm still so short. I mean, yeah. I broke five feet, but I stayed right there. Yep. Because you right. had a two-week period. So you had, as it turned out, you had um, intestinal yeast, and but you did not grow over a two-year period. And that was like a physical problem that he could quantify, but had no idea why. So we went, we went to an alternative medicine doctor um, who determined what the problem was and you were on a very strict diet. You were on medication and it cleared up. It cleared up, but there was still like a, a two year period where you were not getting probably the nutrition you needed. You were not feeling well. Um, so that, that was the toughest just determining what was wrong with you and um, resolving that. So how did you find the stamina to keep looking? Because it took two years to find the right doctor. And that's a, that's a lot of, that's hard, especially with me being sick and not fun to be around during that time. How'd you, how did you keep looking for new doctors? And also, how did you keep having patience for me? You know, it's like you, you, you do what you have to do. It was like I was the, after many of the doctors determined that, you know, everything was fine. Um, and I knew it wasn't. So I just kept plotting and finding, you know, talking to people. The person who actually recommended the alternative doctor medicine um, is a, was a friend who 
um, was a pharmacologist. And she said, you know, I've been listening to this doctor on the radio. Maybe you should try him. And I called them up and they said, you know, he had a partner who who took care of the pediatrics. We went to see her and, you know, within one appointment, she did she did a load of blood work. Um, within one appointment, she diagnosed you. Well, I love that. And we saw her for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I love about that mom is the trusting of the of your instinct, right? That belief that you were like, no, I know that my daughter is saying she doesn't feel well. I know that there is something wrong and I'm going to keep looking. Because I think, especially now, it, I think now it may be even harder because there are so many voices out there telling us so many things, but that it's really easy to let other people convince us that it's not what we think it is. It's easy to stop listening to our own instincts, to stop listening to what we know is true for ourselves, for our kids, for our families. And you didn't do that. Even when professionals were saying, there's nothing wrong. You said, no, I I know my kid. I know my family. I know there's something wrong. And I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. And you went to the ends of the earth to, to 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 find me the help and then to put that help in place. I mean, I can remember the appointments. We would go and sit in her office for four hours at a time. You know, I, I, I remember sitting in the waiting room playing cards, not realizing how long we were there. But now as an adult looking back, that was a, a huge on-taking, undertaking that, that you did in order to make sure that I was healthy. Mm-hmm. And another thing I never liked, and I still don't like, driving in Manhattan. And the doctor and- was... In Manhattan. And we and you had several doctors in Manhattan that I drove and we went to repeat, you know, for years. Um weekly. And yes. And did not in fact let you know that I was white knuckled driving in the city. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't I had no idea. Um, I actually don't think I knew that till now. I mean, I knew that as an adult and when dad was around, he would drive. But I think I just learned that. Yeah, I, which, I still don't like driving in the city. Which I think if I can, you know, step back and do the Dr. Marcy thing again of like, that's also a gift that you gave me. And I'm sure there were moments with my sister too, that the things that were hard for you, I didn't feel. I didn't know how hard those years were when you were looking for help for my health. I just knew that I felt like crap, right? I didn't know that it was hard for you to drive into the city. And that that separation of you being the grown up and taking that responsibility and holding and carrying that so that I could be a kid to the best that I could be with all the health things that were unfolding was a really big gift because I didn't have to take on more than I already had taken on. And another thing we would do too, when we had, there were times where you had testing where you couldn't eat in the morning before we went to the doctors in this, and it was in the city. And so we would, and you never know what kind of traffic you're going to hit over the bridge. So, you know, we would head in early. And if we got in early, we, the one place that I remember we always wrote, we would roam around in was around Grant's tomb where there are, you know, these colorful benches and places. So we would 
find things to have fun to do to to spend the time before we went to the doctor's appointment because you also couldn't eat so you were hungry and a little cranky so we would find things to do to amuse you while we were waiting instead of going early and sitting in the doctor's office and i can remember when i would have testing like that the dad would come mm-hmm. and it felt like a special treat the dad took off work and was there. It felt like this magical adventure as opposed to, and now we have to go to the doctor. Yep. <clears throat> and, and and we would, we actually, around Grant's tomb, I think we, we did hide and sink. And, and you would pre- pretend to, to sleep on one of the little benches there. And we couldn't see you when you were sleeping. I don't remember that. I do remember the tile benches around Grant's tomb. I can yeah. picture running around on them. I don't remember a hide and seek, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it. It, it relates it relates to, to to playing under the tent. It is all connected, isn't it? <laughs> but also, as you were older, then I guess it was like more like high school age. You had um, back problems, and again, we were in the city seeing doctors. Um, some of whom you did not like at all. And so to make the doctor visit fun, on the way home, we would always stop for ice cream. And if I recall correctly, there was a back doctor that I very much did not like that we had to see every week. Yep. So every week on the way home, we got ice cream. Stop for ice cream. Yep. So it was like we were sort of always trying to do something to compensate for the unpleasant doctor's appointments to do something that made it made it fun and you always spun it in this way where it was fun for me i don't think i ever knew how hard it was for you to have to drive into the city once a week and take an entire afternoon in the crazy traffic that I didn't do anything to make it any easier for you. I mean, especially at that point, I was a teenager and in a lot of pain and all sorts of things. So I don't know that I had the capacity to do it, but it was a huge gift that you gave me that I didn't have to take that on as well. Because I think oftentimes parents inadvertently, because they're human, make comments about how much they are sacrificing for their kids or because they don't know any better will say this, you know, this is hard for me too. Or, you know, this is this is hard on me. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't language that I grew up around. It was a wonderful gift to me. So thank you. You're welcome. But genuinely, I think I think one of the things of being an adult now that I get to see and doing the job that I do, I get to see that there were a lot of really great things that happened in my childhood and growing up and in your parenting. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you want to know why that was great? Because of these things. That there's a lot that follows suit in what I understand to be really good parenting and really good relationship building that was organically part of what I was raised in, which feels like part of why I'm really good at my job because it is kind of in in my system as opposed to just something that I learned. The, The idea of positivity and coming from finding the good, like one of my superpowers is being able to find the silver lining in any situation, 
which also happens to be a skill that many people need to learn in order to help. But I think that I grew up around that. I think you grew up around it. And I think it's also gen intergenerational where it's like, that's how my parents treated me and how my parents took care of me. So it, it goes down the line. Which also means that for parents who are listening right now, if this isn't what you grew up with, you can create a new pattern for your kids. You can create a new generational story for what your children will then grow up to be and pass along, which is part of why I do all of the work that I do so that the world could be a better and happier place. I ended up being very, very lucky. So in this very public open forum, I just want to say thank you. Now, there are some things about our family that are very unique, that are not necessarily solely based in my childhood, but I feel like maybe we want to share one of your favorite current pastimes. I introduced you as mom and dad and as Barbara and Steve, but you have other names that you go by. Ah. Uh. So those of you who are listening, if you don't know about my family, what that all alluded to is that my parents are also clowns. Yes, red nose, big shoes, <laughs> life of the party, face painting, balloon twisting, magic making clowns. They had to do something. Once you once you left the once you left the the house, we had to we had to create another another fun fun activity. Uh, so I get the credit for you being clowns because that's not how I recall it. But I'll take it. That seems great. Sure. Well, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to come out of the closet until you guys left left the house. The clown closet. The clown closet. Yes. Except I do recall that there were a few birthday parties that you did clown. And in particular, I recall a story of you clowning at a very dear friend's birthday party and me not sharing very well. Because I was having so much fun. And they you were, were having, having so much fun being the entertainment for my friend Jessica's birthday party. And I was immensely jealous and very sad. And so I believe a very distressed, crying Marcy attached herself to your leg while you went around juggling. Juggling and I was giving rides on my unicycle. Right. And I was not very excited that this was not my party. So did you really only come out of the clown closet once Lauren and I were out of the house? Yes. Okay. So that was just a touch of, a, a speckle of. It, it became much more professional when, uh, when you guys left. That's true. It was much more organized. I support that. Okay. All right. I'll take credit then. So dad, as a clown, tell us about who you are. Well, my professional name is Juggles. It's not Mr. Juggles because Mr. Juggles is my dad. Okay. I'm just Juggles. Okay. And I do juggling, magic, balloons, mime, and all together slapstick kind of stuff. And it's been, it's been a, a wonderful journey. Okay. That hopefully we share with thousands and thousands of people over the years 
we've done it for over 20 years. And I brought Mrs. Beagle, Mum Beagle, Marcy's mum, along with me. And she has uh, Glitter the Clown. And she has become an expert face painter. And where I want to be in the middle of all the activities and coordinate everybody jumping and uh, having huge funds. She wants to be in the corner relating one-to-one with the child or with the adult for that matter, okay? Making them feel special, listening and creating wonderful designs, okay? And just making them feel altogether good. And her favorite activity while we are clowns is? Oh, yes. My, the most impactful place and the place that I enjoy clowning most was when we were at, uh, before COVID, uh, clowning at Hackensack Hospital. And it, it, we were in the pediatric oncology and in uh, same-day surgery and in um, all of many different units in the hospital. And going to the individual rooms changed the day for many people. We would go into same-day surgery and they would tell us particular patients that were anxious and upset and scared of their surgery and we would go in and, and entertain them. And there was one, one particular day in the pediatric oncology where there was a little girl who was getting chemotherapy and there were not a lot of kids. So I spent almost the whole time we were there painting her, painted her face, painted her arms, painted her, whatever was, was available. And when I was leaving, she said, this was the best day of my life. And it was like to be able to change a child's experience of being in the hospital and having cancer, to be able to have the ability to change that was just, you know, beyond words. And um, we can't, since COVID, we have not gone back into the hospital, but, um, you know, hopefully next year we'll, you know, they will, they will bring the clowns back. We still go, they have a walkathon every year. So we still go to that and see some of the kids who were, you know, were little kids getting chemo when I knew them who are now taller than I am. So, uh, that is my favorite my favorite and most impactful clowning. Yeah. Yep. Well, and what you can't see because we're on a podcast, I'm over here crying as my mom talks about being a hospital clown because I have heard the stories many times and it's still, I think it does t- two things. I think one is I'm just in awe that this is who you are and what you both do in the world and how you make it a better place. But also it resonates for how I feel about the work that I do. I think it always becomes remarkable to me when I see myself in you and the way you talk about changing this little girl's life and how you how it was the best day for her and to be able to change her perspective. I feel like that is what I hope I do every time I go into a family's home or have a parenting session or... I'm at a speaking engagement and give people tools to go do something different in their family. 
because Mm -hmm. we need one of the biggest ways I believe to change behavior is to bring in more joy. We don't always have to stop the tantrum. We sometimes have to bring in goodness and the tantrum stop. Mm -hmm. That's a very simplified version, but it, you know, hearing, hearing about this piece of your clowning reminds me of um, apples not falling far from trees. And I'm very happy that I am an apple from your tree. Oh, me too, Mars. Because you bring joy to us. It's my goal. It's really why I do it all, just so that you guys can be proud. One of the things that having parents who are clowns allows you to do is to remember to get out of the box and to remember that the the standard rules of life of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do apply and don't apply in my life. And so I feel like I've spent a lot of time getting out of the box and therefore teaching other people how to get out of the box. So thank you for being my parents and for doing all that you have done to help me become the person that I am. I'm going to take a little bit of credit because I've done a little bit of work on myself. (laughs) Um, But it's really fun having you here and sharing our family stories with, with others so that they can understand a little bit more of who I am and where I came from. Um, But also this was just a really lovely conversation that I don't know that we get to have these moments often enough of the appreciation of what the reflection of life looks like. So my go-to glitter from this conversation is to have more moments of reflecting on the pieces of our life that have made me who I am and saying thank you. What are your go-to, your golden nuggets from this conversation, the thing that you're going to take away and remember and said, ah, oh, this was a worthwhile conversation. I remember there were some very hard times when I would be, be tucking you in and I liked you to read the stories to me and you were always very smart, but sometimes perceptively you didn't see things the way they were. Okay a little dyslexic. So what you would read is what you remembered the book said, not exactly what the book actually said. I still do that. Just so you know, reading is still very hard for me. So we would have some less than optimal times when I was reading to you or you you reading to me and then me correcting you. So I remember that this is when you were a teenager and how much you've progressed since then, such that you went on and got multiple masters and your PhD. Or my EDD. Or your EDDDDD. I don't have a PhD. I have a doctorate of education. Minor but important difference that my dad needs to know. For all the years of his correcting you. Yes, <laughs> yes, mom. Thank you. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. My correction of your reading. Okay. Started one direction and with the hard work, okay, you work through it and it blossomed. Thanks, dad. Well, I remember when I graduated with my doctorate, that you actually called Mrs. Emilio, who was my resource room teacher, 
because in she helped school. me in elementary school because she helped me read. And I think I was with her for three years because I really struggled reading. And you reached out and you found her and you said, I just want you to know one of your students made it here. I think that there were times that you guys didn't didn't think I was going to go quite as far in life as I have. Our basement was always going to be available. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And to the fact that you never told me how hard it was, you never told me that you didn't think I was going to make it this far. So I didn't know. So I just kept going. That was part of the gift. Exactly. You, you, you frame the picture so one can grow into it. Yeah. Although we did have some fierce fights when you would try to correct me. When I was younger, I did not. Something about your particular flavor of correcting, my particular flavor of personality at that time. As a kid, we had some some big fights, um, yep. which makes me very grateful for the relationship we have now. And for the parents who are listening, if you are having big fights with your kids, know that it is possible that that will change. Um, and I think for my parents, if I can be bold enough to say, I think I am, I have accomplished things beyond what they ever thought was possible for me. So you never know. Cause uh, my learning challenges are a topic for a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were deep and wide and challenging. So mom, what is your golden nugget from this conversation? My golden nugget is we had many very difficult years and it's beyond describing how you have accomplished what you've accomplished. And I think all of the difficulties that you went through gave you such a level of perseverance and compassion. And I certainly would prefer not to have gone through those difficult years, but I think that's what molded you into the wonderful person you are now. Thanks, Mama. I love you, Marcy. I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I love me too. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, <laughs> I think we forget that sometimes the the really hard moments are what give us our greatest strength mm -hmm. and that if we take those away, we won't be nearly, I wouldn't be nearly the person that I am today. And my ability to adapt and problem solve and figure out what else is possible, I think comes from the modeling that you both gave of figuring out what else is possible. Well, I was not expecting this to be quite as a sentimental of a conversation as it was, but thank you for showing up and sharing authentically and deeply about our family and about your parenting and about me. And thanks for coming on and being guests. I know it's not the normal podcast episode or your normal space. This might be your first podcast guesting, if I am correct. Yes, but I've listened to all of yours. Because you are my biggest cheerleader. <laughs> I am so grateful. Well, thank you, Mom and Dad, for being here. I love you so much. And um, I'm excited to see what happens next. Me too. Me too. And thank you for listening. I know your time is precious and limited. I'm grateful that you shared it with us today. What's your one takeaway? Just one small step can make a big difference. Make sure you know when new episodes come out by subscribing here 
and joining my mailing list at drmarcy.com backslash podcast. Do you want to be a guest on a future episode of Love Your Family again and again and again and again? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast guest and let me know. Finally, do you need individualized help for your family? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash contact and connect with my team to learn how we can help you. Remember, blue skies are ahead and we're going to get there together.